Hi everyone, this is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on topics of interest to you and your family. Today we are continuing our series on COVID-19 and the effect it has had on our local community. And specifically today, we're going to talk about the effect that it has had on one of our hospitals. My guest today is Crystal Flanagan, Chief Nursing Officer at St. Mary's Medical Center. Welcome, Crystal. Thank you, Sherry. We know that um, COVID-19 in our community has had a huge impact on multiple levels. And we've had the the fortune and the privilege of having quite a few guests on to talk of the different areas that it's affected. But one that it's affected greatly has been our hospitals, and we know that that started in mid-March. It's been a very intense few months for essential health care workers, and I'm so glad that you're here to tell us how it's been at St. Mary's and what your memories are of that time. Can you take us back to mid-March? when we? I think that's pretty much when we knew the pandemic was coming to our community and it was sort of the boulder was rolling our way. What were your first memories, Crystal? Well, you know, um, back in mid-March, um, I've been in the community since 1984. I'm not a native, unfortunately, um, but I feel like I've been here a long time. And to think that there was a pandemic that was going to touch our community was not realistic um, until you're literally in the throes of planning and um collaborating with your community about something that you're waiting to come. Um, right, like you right. you called it a boulder, and for me, it felt like the wave um, coming over the mountain um, waiting to crash, but it just sat there for such a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and the interesting part about that um, is that wave sitting there as long as it did allowed us to plan for it um, much better. I kind of felt like our group was about two weeks ahead every time something new came out. Um, We have um, at St. Mary's a new group of of leaders. We had a new CEO that came in um, at the beginning of the year. Although I've been at St. Mary's for 31 years, I was new to my chief nursing officer role from about November. Um, And you know, between that group trying to make plans to move forward with a pandemic um, was a very interesting time. I bet. Um, Mm -hmm. So you kind of got a baptism by fire for that. uh, It it really was a baptism by fire, exactly. Yeah. Well, so so let's, if you can help me with a little bit of the time frame. So what you're saying is that around mid-March, or was it the beginning of March when you sort of knew it was coming your way, this wave that you're talking about, and so you were able to uh, strategize a bit? We were able to strategize um, a bit, and really the most, um, what I would say our focus was on in the beginning was the surge plan. Um, you know, you we know what we can handle in our own community um, amongst our hospitals, but I think what we were watching is you know, that wave was coming from back east for us, not even from California or our surrounding states. Mm -hmm. And so we're watching back east and what's going on, and immediately we started planning for the surge, um, which meant that we were out in the hospital, we were looking at different areas, we were thinking outside of the box, we were um, making, you know, spaces into patient care areas that you would never think could be a patient care area. Um, auditoriums and you know conference rooms and basements and um, things like that. Our I have to say our engineering team um, 
performed stellar um, during this whole event um, and being able to build things that we did not think were buildable. And luckily, you know, the saying says, if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. Um, we built it, and and we skirted by. I felt like our community really came out on top. Well, you mentioned your engineers a few minutes ago, and when we talk about essential health care workers, most people think of doctors, nurses, et cetera. But an essential health care worker goes all the way from the engineers to the people that help clean the rooms. Absolutely. Um, anybody who steps inside of the hospital doors is an essential health care worker. Um, and, and I believe that in my soul because we wouldn't be here if it weren't for the patients. Right. So everyone that has a name badge that's in this hospital is an essential health care worker to me. So, so at that time, you were strategizing, looking to see whether you need to expand to other rooms. Was that when you stopped doing elective surgeries about that time? Um, you know, elective stopping elective surgeries, and, and I apologize for not having an exact timeline, um, that came at, at the governor's behest um, of, of stopping um, yeah, essential surgeries. March, and yeah. so I think it was a little bit later than March, like yeah. into April. April. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so stopping the elective surgeries, but you still had patients in the hospital. How how did you ease their concerns, the patients that were actively in the hospital, say the end of March and into April, that, that didn't have COVID? You know, um, I, I have to say that that is where the frontline staff really shined um, in being able to be at the bedside. That was their focus. You know, our job was to to create a safe environment where people could still come to heal, whether they had COVID or not. Um, and, you know, we did see our census drift down because people were scared in the community. They didn't yeah. want to come to the hospital. Yeah. And we understood that. But the ones that were here, I would say the staff that touched them every day um, were really the ones who instilled that confidence and that sense of safety in our patients. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's so important because just being in the hospital, uh, one feels really sort of uh, vulnerable and out of control anyway. Being Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and do you remember the day that you got your first COVID-19 patient? I'll never forget it. Tell us about it. Um, it, it was very interesting. Um, the, the patient um, walked in. Mm. Um, walked into the emergency department mm-hmm. um, and made an announcement that um, they they knew that they were COVID positive. And that patient did everything in their ability to keep our staff safe mm-hmm. because they already knew. Mm-hmm. They kept their distance. Mm-hmm. They kept their mask on. Um, they, they came in through the emergency department, and our staff in turn was able to quickly attend to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know the patient walked in um, and very quickly progressed um, to being very very sick, mm-hmm. um, and that patient eventually went home. Mm-hmm. But but I'll never forget that story. Yeah, there's uh, COVID has given us so many stories and ones that uh, that we will never hear. But certainly the essential healthcare workers on the front line. Mm-hmm. have many, many stories about patients. Tell me how how was that for a patient who was in, because you had a COVID unit and then you had an ICU, right? 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. At first, um, we opened our intensive care unit as as our original, um, and then you know y- your your less sicker patients start coming in, and you have to have a place, um, you know, for them to be cohorted together. Uh huh. So, and and we've maintained two units um, all the way up until today, actually. Oh, today, or and what's happening today? Just meaning that we still have those um, those. So we have two right now, and we are actually uh, going to expand to three um, here very soon. We we have our original ICU telemetry um, COVID unit, mm-hmm. and we're going to separate out two other COVID units. Right now, we're looking at long-term planning through the fall, our flu season, RSV for our kiddos. Um, and and really getting people back to their new normalcy, mm-hmm. um, but still having those separate units um, that's required by the CDC. Well, let me go back to this first patient with, that was admitted. Uh-huh. Um, there's been so many really heart-wrenching stories about COVID patients in the hospital and how they can't have family, and that the nurses or the frontline staff are really their connection to another human being. How has that been for your nursing staff? You know, I I know um, without a doubt that um, this is not our norm, and patients' family members are part of the team. You know, they're part of the nursing care team, and they're part of that healing process. And um, not having that piece, the nurses really put themselves in there as the caregiver. Um, They felt that obligation because they have that compassion and that understanding that being alone is scary. Mm-hmm. I can tell I can tell you story beyond story of um different clinical workers not just bedside nurses who um volunteered to work in those units so that they could make videos for the family via phone and send it to the family members um and 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 help to be a part of that healing process. Um stories that just brought tears to your eyes of course. Um, because they went out of their way as an essential health care worker to make that happen for them and for the families. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a series, uh, I think we start next week on, on COVID and, and emotional stress and talk about uh, people's fear of getting COVID, but also about the fear when you have COVID. And I think that's a, a very important topic uh, for people. And certainly one of the things that assuages their fear when when you have COVID is the healthcare professionals that you end up interacting with. But my sense would be is a lot of those healthcare professionals are very worried about getting it themselves. Absolutely. And how did you cope with that as a as a staff? Because they're right there on the front line. You know, I have to say we learned a lot of our lessons by watching, you know, our our other healthcare facilities throughout the country. Um, and either what what they had for equipment or what they didn't have. Um, I have to say one of the things that we were really lucky about um, here at this hospital is that we had a supply of um, PPE for our staff, um, and they they were never without the supply of PPE. We had to very strategically figure out how we were going to use it and what it was being used for to ensure that we always had it, but we started from protecting them above and beyond what was required. So what would that look like, Crystal? They had masks, gloves. Did you have the, um, oh, I forget what they're called, the big hood with the, the hose? The pappers, yes. Pappers, that's it, yeah. 
You know, we um, it, it's interesting. Um, I have friends that work throughout the country, and there's hospitals that are, we'll just say they're N95 hospitals, and there's hospitals that are PAPR hospitals. Mm-hmm. St. Mary's, um, for as long as I've been here, has been a PAPR hospital. Mm-hmm. So we had a very big supply of PAPRs, but again, you don't use those unless it's an airborne disease like tuberculosis, right. um, which doesn't happen very often. And so our supply of PAPRs, when we started putting them on the front lines and people were using them every hour on the hour, started breaking down pretty quickly because it was a, a very big supply of equipment that you don't use very often. Huh. Um, and as that supply went down, um, you know, then you're, the country's on back order, <laughs> so you're right. trying to get replacement right. parts. And then you have to go into your next stock, which is N95s. Um, and, you know, it, it, we went into our N95 stock, and now staff, you know, they have that immediate um, reassurance that they can throw that mask on and their goggles and their gloves and gown and walk in a room and take care of a patient. Um, peppers tend to be a little bit more bulky and time-consuming to put right. on. Um, and so, do you feel that they're equal in their safety, N95s and peppers? In my opinion, I believe the PAPRs are safer. Uh-huh. They don't have to be fit tested. Um, they don't uh, change shape when you put them on your face and wear them for hours upon hours. Whereas an N95, if it gets soiled, um, once you're re, um, um, cleaning them for redistribution, that can change you know, the integrity of the mask. And um, so once they don't fit and have that good seal, you just have to throw them away. Whereas a papper you can use over and over and over again, and it has that positive pressure that's pushing everything away from your face. And my understanding is, and I, I could be wrong, that a N95 um, can be used three times, clean, you know, cleaned in between and used three times, and then you have to throw it away? No, um, it depends. So when you're in emergency state, um, you know, a lot of the companies who um, clean these masks, it depends on what equipment they're using to clean the masks. And we have an internal system that we can use um, that was approved um, for emergency use only. And so we can clean those masks 10 times um, and reuse them. But if they have, you know, any, if they've been used in a procedure that was an aerosolizing procedure or it got something on it or there was makeup on it, then we would just throw those away and get somebody a new mask. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. So how many, and I, this is off the cuff here, how many N95 masks a month do you go through, do you think? Um, you know, that's information that we report up to the state. Um, I, I just know that we have a great supply and stock of them. Well, that's great. And then, and your your essential health care workers um, how do they keep themselves safe? Do they uh, take off all of their equipment before they go home? Do they, you know, because they have families too. Uh, and I'm sure they were concerned. You know, um, I have to say this is where our community really came together to collaborate, um, you know, as far as keeping essential workers safe. But within the hospital, um, when we put those units together, um, we made sure that they had a, uh, they could come in in their street clothes. They had a changing room to go to. They changed into scrubs. Uh, they went and provided care. We had a shower that they could use within that area to shower and get back into their you know, street clothes and go home to their families. Mm-hmm. But we also had a lot of community partners and a lot of local hotels that offered discounts, very deep discounts for those workers who were really concerned about you know, taking this home to their families when none of us knew much right. about it. Um, even through today, we, we don't know that much, it feels like. Um, and so the community really came together to 
give the health, the frontline workers um, different options. And how how did you all help them with their stress level? I would imagine that it. I mean, I can't even imagine daily and and wearing that equipment for you know eight, ten, maybe twelve hours. How? What about you know, the stress level? Exactly. You know, you think about um, becoming a nurse in Reno, Nevada, working at one of our amazing local hospitals, um, and and your dream is that you're not going to walk into a war zone um, within hospital walls, but those units, you know, they could feel that way. There's plastic and you have to zip in and walk in the area and then zip in another zipper and walk in those areas that are confined and closed down and that's where you are for the day. So it felt a lot more scary. And for the nurses um, that were experiencing taking care of those very sick patients as well, um, not really being able to be with other people or take a normal lunch break and get out and get fresh air and um, have those conversations and those decompression um, meetings, we stood up um, what's called CARE 24. Um, This was originated out of John Hopkins University, and we were bringing that to our hospital, but it had been put on hold. Mm -hmm. The team that went for the original training, which was two of our nurses, one that had um, previous experience with this CARE 24, um, I, I, I pulled them in and I said, I need you to stand this up right now. And those two nurses and their support staff went out and they stood up CARE 24 and they were literally here, weekends, night shift, day shift. They are from our education department, and so they would go out doing, like, PAPR training with the staff, mm-hmm. and they were also there as a CARE 24 team to talk, to allow staff to talk to them about these stressful situations and let them just sort of unload that stuff. And so then CARE 24 time- was a training in how to sort of uh, decompress? So, yeah, the the trainers are trained in decompressing people after a stressful situation. Um, And and this was a stressful situation that is just was going to be ongoing. And, of course, you know, um, our our corporate office with Prime um, immediately set up, um, you know, phone lines that people could call in and talk to somebody um, to do that decompression as well um, and that we still have today, you know, to deal with mental health and and all of these stressors sure. from from going through something that none of us know how to do. Well, and you you know there's the stress of what they're doing on the job, and then of course they have families, and there's the stress of childcare. And now here we are, uh, months later, um, in July, with an increase in cases in Washoe County, and certainly our partner city Las Vegas is having a very difficult time. Yes, um, and there's a lot of opinions on why that is. If I was an essential worker, I might even get a little upset when I see people not wearing masks um, because the fallout from that uh, affects them greatly. It, it does impact the health the the healthcare community, and I I think that that's you know a lot of the piece that um, people don't realize. There's so many different opinions, and I'll I'll tell you. Um, in my opinion of being, you know, a healthcare provider, you have to respect those decisions and you have to respect um, that people are going to have different opinions of what's going on and what rules should be followed and where they fit in with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for our healthcare workers, um, even amongst us may have a different opinion of, of, you know, what we should be doing versus what we shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. But ultimately this this has impacted healthcare beyond anything I think that we were prepared for in the United States. 
um, and and the impact that it has on those frontline workers is really where it's taking a toll. And you know we're we're kind of behind closed doors. You know, uh, we don't, you know, we're not reporting our individual numbers as a hospital every day so that people understand what's happening. Um, But the decisions we make on the outside, they really will lead to more sick people needing more health care and impacting those that need normal health care. Right, exactly. um, For the normal illnesses, you know, heart attacks and strokes and, you know, uh, emergency surgeries. Yeah, because I know that a lot of people didn't want to come to emergency rooms. Um, didn't want to go to the doctor because they were fearful of getting the virus. And yes. I think that's starting to get a little bit better, but there's still quite a bit of anxiety. You know, I think that there's a lot of things that have um, changed through this experience for all of us as human beings, and I think we've adapted and realized that there's we're going to have to learn new ways to provide health care um, to, to communities, and one of those is telehealth. Right. Um, you know, um, Months before COVID happened, my daughter, you know, called me from Texas and said, oh, I just had a telehealth appointment with my doctor. And I said, I want to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, the convenience of not having to get in your car and drive um, to your doctor's appointment and wait in the waiting room with other people and wait to be seen Mm -hmm. um, and then have to drive back. Mm -hmm. I think that we're going to see healthcare um, change over the next several years to come in how we deliver healthcare um, and and what we're offering. Well, let's talk about the next six months, Crystal, because we know that COVID isn't going away anytime soon. What we've seen, we're taping this in mid-July. What we've seen is an uptake in cases here in Washoe County, certainly across our state. Now we're having major discussions on whether the schools should open. Uh, Just so many areas that this has impacted. But from a healthcare standpoint and from a hospital standpoint, What is your biggest concern over the next six months? What is it that you all are looking um, in that crystal ball and concerned about? Um, From my standpoint as the chief nursing officer, um, I'm worried about the longevity of our frontline staff um, and our essential workers um, maintaining this pace. Um, So it's important for for me to focus on their well-being and their health through all of this and, um, you know, we've made a lot of changes within the hospital um, geography of where things are and working with those frontline staff to get things back to sort of their home units and get things back to normal so that we can, you know, if the kids go back to school, we have to have a full, you know, pediatric unit that can take our pediatric patients that, you know, have not only possibly contracted COVID, but, you know, the RSV and your normal little sick ones, Mm -hmm. um, but also be able to take care of patients on the units where they belong so that the staff is home with their home unit, getting the support from their normal team. Um, So really looking over the next six months, it's being able to do that and also have a surge plan, which we already have. Um, So I think offering the, the new normal and getting us back there as soon as we can will get us through the fall. Um, and then spending a lot of time focusing on uh, the well-being of our staff and ensuring that they have the support they need. You know, a lot of people are still not working, um, and that was one of my biggest fears of our frontline workers was the stress they were experiencing outside of the hospital. Right. So really touching base and creating those personal relationships and being out there and, and being available and let them know, you know, what we can offer them as support I think is really I think it's the whole community's focus needs to be on that. Yeah. 
Well put. Well put, Crystal. Well, thank you so much for this conversation today. Can we touch base with you in a couple of months and see how it's going? Yes, I would love that. Yeah, that would be absolutely great. Uh, We've been discussing the impact COVID-19 has had on essential workers and on hospitals with Crystal Flanagan, Chief Nursing Officer at St. Mary's Medical Center. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. For a list of our podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. Please stay safe and please wear your mask.